الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد So just a quick recap of what we covered yesterday Yesterday we covered the praiseworthy trait of fear which is al-khawf and we mentioned how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so powerful and his ability is beyond our imagination uh, so much so that he could do whatever he wants whenever he wants both in this life and in the hereafter and he is completely independent of us and we mentioned that it is because of this that we have fear of Allah because he really could do whatever he wants we know he is the truth we know that his punishment is the truth and we know through countless examples of umam that came before us that he had destroyed he has the power and ability to destroy at will he has the power and ability to punish at will and ultimately he guides whomever he would like to guide and he punishes whomever he would like to punish or he, uh, uh, and he misguides whomever he would like to misguide so that is a main reason why we have such fear of Allah Ta'ala. Um, and then we mentioned how for the believer there has to be a component of hope as well mixed in with fear and not fear alone. Because fear can disable a person. And that's not the goal of a praiseworthy trait. The goal of all of these traits that we're mentioning, it's not to paralyze us or disable us. It's in fact to enable us and to make us more... Uh, more able. That's the purpose. So Imam Ghazali rahimahullah highlights that a believer should have as much hope in Allah as they have fear in Allah. And you use that feeling of fear to drive you away from those things that displease Allah. And you use that feeling of hope or that emotion of hope to drive you toward those things that are pleasing to Allah. Um, and the summary of it yesterday was from a verse of the Quran where Allah Ta'ala says in translation of which is that verily those who believe and those who migrated and struggled in Allah's path these are the ones who hope for Allah Ta'ala's mercy and Allah is forgiving and merciful meaning you have hope in Allah you, you make an effort toward Allah and then you put your hope in Allah and let Allah Ta'ala decide what he's going to do so that's the summary of yesterday's and today actually before we begin today you might now notice that this is very dense material and some of it doesn't, it doesn't, it takes a few times to listen to in order to make sense. And I'm realizing now, actually, that unless you have the background of last year's talks, it'll be difficult to fully understand this year's. Because a lot of what we're talking about in terms of praiseworthy traits and things to bring in, it's with the assumption that, you've, that you understand evil traits of the human being as well. Um, and so that's what Imam Ghazali brings us after, right? We mentioned this the first night. So I would encourage you to listen to the talks. They're available online at the Refined Heart website. Either listen to those talks or purchase the book and read the blameworthy traits, you know, love for wealth, uh, love for the dunya, love for status, pride, arrogance, uh, these sorts of topics that we covered last year. I would encourage you to listen to those, um, maybe even this Ramadan in order to take more from these gatherings. Okay, so let's move on. This is the third principle that we're covering. This third principle is a zuhud. Imam Ghazali is covering zuhud. Zuhud, in the best translation in English is asceticism. 
So he starts off, as he does always, with just reading some verses of the Qur'an, or listing them off. So we'll just read these, inshallah. Allah Ta'ala says, وَلَا تَمُدَّنَّ عَيْنَيْكَ إِلَى مَا مَتَّعْنَا بِهِ أَزْوَاجًا مِنْهُمْ زَهْرَةً حَيَاتِ الدُّنْيَا لِنَفْتِنَهُمْ فِيهِ وَرِزْقُ رَبِّكَ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى Do not turn your eyes to what we have uh, provided them of wives, adornment of the worldly life, to test them regarding it. The provision of your Lord is better and more lasting. He subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, okay, hold on, let me get step back here. So zuhud, asceticism, it's a big word, but the crux of it is abstinence from this dunya, or abstinence in general. So zuhud from this dunya is abstinence from this dunya, to renounce this dunya. So that's what zuhud is. Okay. He subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, مَنْ كَانَ يُرِيدُ حَرْثَ الْآخِرَةِينَ أَزِدْ لَهُ فِي حَرْثِهِ وَمَنْ كَانَ يُرِيدُ حَرْثَ الدُّنْيَا نُؤْتِهِ مِنْهَا وَمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ نَصِيبِ Whoever wants the harvest of the afterlife, we increase his harvest for him. Whoever wants the harvest of this world, we instead give to him from it. Yet he'll have no share in the afterlife. So what you get if you, if you want your share in this world, you'll get your share in this world. But if you desire the afterlife, you'll get the afterlife. Allah Ta'ala said concerning Qarun, فَخَرَجَ عَلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ فِي زِينَتِهِ قَالَ الَّذِينَ يُرِيدُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا يَا لَيْتَ لَنَا مِثْلَ مَا أُوْتِيَ قَارُونُ إِنَّهُ لَذُو حَظٍ عَظِيمٍ وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ أُوْتُ الْعِلْمَ وَيْلَكُمْ ثَوَابُ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ لِمَنْ آمَنَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا said, if only we had what Qarun has been given, surely he has a great fortune. And then the response, those who were given knowledge said, Woe to you, Allah's reward is better for whoever believes and does righteous deeds. Okay, and then he mentions some hadith of the Prophet The Prophet said, whoever wakes up with the world and his aspiration, Allah Ta'ala scatters his affair, divides his property, places his property before his eyes and does not give him anything from the world except what was written for him. Whoever, on the other hand, wakes up for the afterlife, meaning their passion is the afterlife, their desire is the akhirah, no, no desire for this world. Whoever wakes up with the afterlife and his aspiration, as his aspiration, Allah Ta'ala gathers his aspiration for him, preserves his property, meaning in this world, puts his wealth in his heart and gives him the world despite itself. This is narrated in Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah. The point of this being that if a person desires this world, then what happens is, and you make the purpose of your life this world, then Allah Ta'ala will basically leave this world to you. You're on your own. If you're desiring this world and you think this is something that you, uh, this is your passion, then you can take it and you're not responsible for it. Meaning Allah Ta'ala puts that responsibility, that onus on you to handle the situation, okay? To, to, to handle this responsibility of this world. But on the other hand, if you decide to make the akhirah your passion and your desire and your fo- make it your desire, is this working? It's not very loud. If, if you make the uh, akhirah your passion and your desire in life, then Allah Ta'ala takes it upon himself to make this world comfortable for you. You get it? So basically, you know, the ulama say, well, that if you chase the akhirah, then the dunya will chase you. If you chase the akhirah, the dunya will chase you. Meaning, you'll get whatever you need. All the comforts in this world will come to you, but you have to make the akhirah your focus because then Allah Ta'ala will give you the dunya as well. But if you chase after the dunya, then Allah Ta'ala will lead the dunya to you handle it yourself. And then it becomes difficult. Then you're struggling. 
you know, you're struggling to earn, you're struggling in competition, you're struggling in every aspect of life because you've now decided that the dunya is your objective. Okay. Um, when he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Prophet was asked about Allah Ta'ala's statement, which is in the Quran, مَن يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَن يَهْدِيَهُ يَشْرَحْ صَدَرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ comes in the 8th juz. Whomever Allah Ta'ala intends to uh, intends to guide, or wants, yeah, whoever, whomever Allah Ta'ala intends to guide, he opens up his chest to Islam. So when the Prophet was asked about the meaning of what does it mean by opening, what does it mean by opening up your chest, yashrah sadrahu lil Islam, opening up your chest to Islam, the Prophet said, when light enters the heart, the chest is opened and emptied. It was asked, is there a sign for this? Is there a sign for this? He said, yes. Detachment from the abode of delusion, turning toward the abode of eternity, and preparation for death before it happens. Meaning, if you want to know, if you are, are if your heart is a, con- if you're, sorry, if you want to know, if you're the recipient of this light from Allah Taala, this guidance, that He opens your heart toward Islam. If you want to know. Has my heart been opened toward Islam by Allah or not? The Prophet says, the way you'll know this is that you become detached from this world. And your attachment becomes the akhirah and the hereafter. And you turn toward the akhirah. And you begin to prepare for death before death actually comes to you. That's a sign if this enters into your life that your heart has now been opened up in the way Allah Ta'ala mentioned in the Quran. He وسلم, said, be shy of Allah with rightful shyness. The companion said, we are most certainly shy. He, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, yet, you built, meaning, you're saying you're shy to the companions. He's saying, but yet you build homes in which you do not reside, and you store up food that you do not eat. Meaning, your provisions are more than are necessary, and you're calling yourself shy before Allah. And this is the Sahaba, and obviously their life was far simpler than ours. So if we claim, if we're making, if we'd like to make this claim, then we can only imagine, right? The Sahaba, the Prophet reprimanding the Sahaba for this claim. You can imagine what our state must be. He said, whoever abstains from material things, Allah Ta'ala puts wisdom in their heart, causes him to speak with wisdom. He teaches him the sickness of the world and its cure, and he removes him from the world safely into the home of peace. He said, the slave does not complete the reality of faith until being unknown is more beloved to him than being known. Meaning toward people, the slave does not complete the reality of faith. Meaning the reality of iman is not complete until you desire to be unknown rather than known, right? The desire of the human being is fame and popularity. Last year we talked about this. But iman is only complete when your preference is that people actually don't know you. You prefer to hide from people, not necessarily physically hide. But you don't want any fame to fall upon people. And this is the opposite today. Everyone desiring fame. You want to be the most popular person at school. You want to be the most popular person online. You want to be the most popular person in the masjid. You desire fame and attention. Right? We, we gauge our success based off of how many likes we, have on Facebook, or, uh, likes we have on Facebook or how many followers we have on social media or how many people are, are uh, you know, following our Snapchat. That's how we base our success. But the opposite, iman is complete when you actually desire that people don't know you. I mean, you hide from people. So it's not complete until becoming unknown is more beloved than being known. And a little bit of something is more beloved to him than a lot. You prefer less of something. You don't want to indulge. Right? I think this is indulgence. This is like a, I think it's a slogan for a company. I don't know. 
But it's the opposite. We don't like to indulge. We like to withhold. That's the sign of a complete iman. He also, Sallallahu said, if Allah wants good for a slave, he makes him abstain from material things. And he stokes his interest in the akhirah, and he gives him insight into the flaws of his ego. So this kind of highlights some of the points that we've been mentioning. Okay, now, he, Sallallahu said, abstain from material things, and Allah will love you. Abstain from what people possess, and people will love you. This is the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It comes in Ibn Majah. The Prophet said, Izhad fi dunya yuhibbuk Allah. That if you abstain or you renounce this dunya, meaning you abstain from all of the material things of this world, Allah Ta'ala will consequently love you. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala, uh, He loves that person who detaches themselves from the dunya. This is Allah Ta'ala's, uh, Allah Ta'ala's love and attention falls upon that person because what that person is essentially doing by dis- detaching themselves from the material world is they're telling their Allah that they only care about Him and the Akhirah and nothing in this world. So Allah Ta'ala's love falls upon them. Okay, then the Prophet said, وَزْهَدْ فِيمَا عِنْدَ النَّاسِ يُحِبُّكَ النَّاسِ Then denounce yourself or renounce yourself or abstain from those things that people want and people are chasing after. And the consequence of that is that people will love you. This is such a fascinating hadith because, okay, the first part makes sense. If you stay away from things that are of this world, then Allah Ta'ala will love you. That's, we can understand that, we can appreciate it. But the Prophet is saying that if you stop chasing after those things that people are chasing after, then people will consequently love you. People will then fall in love with you. Sometimes we ask, how is it that I can get people to like me? And not because you want attention per se, but just because you, you desire to be someone who's loved, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. So it's simply because zuhud is the solution for many conf- conflicts. Because the nature of human beings is to be competitive, to chase after one, one another, right? So because of competition and because of our love for this world and the things of this world, we compete with one another. So we withhold. So for instance, you're in school, right? And you know that the, that the grade for the midterm is going, to be deter, is going to be based off of the curve. So what happens? You realize that, hey, if I, give, if I share what I have with someone else, then that's going to affect me. Because I'm chasing after this world. What people want, I want this grade, I want, I, I want to have this job, etc. But if you give that up and say, look, I'd rather serve, I'd rather work for the betterment of someone else, then people will begin to love you. Meaning if you want what's best for someone else, people will begin to love you. It happens at work. We always try to one-up the other person, right? At work, there's this competition. It's like a rat race. You know, you always try to one-up that other person because you feel that your success in the workplace relies upon you one-upping the other person. You're you chasing after the same thing that the next person is chasing after. The Prophet says, stop chasing that. Just renounce, renounce what people are chasing after. You don't have to chase it. Let other people have it. Let other people have the dunya. Let, uh, give, want what's best for someone else. You know, let someone else have the position. Let someone else have that wealth. Want what's best for someone else. And the consequence of that is that people will love you because it'll, they'll perceive it subconsciously that this person's not a threat to me. This person actually wants what's best for me. How many a times do you feel that way, right? I mean, go to work and, and, and ask your colleagues, like, do you feel that I want what's best for you or do you think that I'm a threat to you? You know, in, in school, every, every person's a threat until proven otherwise. Now, be that person that's actually uh, the one who supports you and encourages, toward, encourages you toward good, even at the expense of yourself. You encourage someone else toward good, and the world will fall in love with you. 
the world will fall in love with you because you the people recognize this person is not a threat. He actually means well for me. Um, okay. The next section. The reality of asceticism, its foundation and its fruit. Asceticism, zuhud, in the world has a reality, a foundation and a fruit. As for its reality, it's the self's aversion to the world. Aversion meaning preference against something. Uh, you prefer to distance yourself. Your aversion to the world, distaste. And it's voluntary withdrawal from it, from it despite the ability to acquire it. So zuhud is what? It's that you, uh, you, you dislike aspects of this world. You don't desire them. You, you're averse to them. Uh, and you voluntarily withdraw from it despite the ability to acquire it. Meaning you have the ability to own, this, own aspects of this world, but you voluntarily give it up because it's not something that, you're, that interests you. It's foundation, uh, and so, uh, and it's, it's like the Prophet ﷺ, right? The Prophet ﷺ himself, we'll come to a few hadith about this, but the Prophet ﷺ, he, he preferred discomfort over comfort. This was his preference. He didn't care about this world, like meaning the comforts of this world. You know, there's a hadith in, uh, in Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah, Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he once saw the Prophet ﷺ, he was sleeping on his bedding, and his bedding was basically date palms that served as like a cushion for him, okay? So he stood up and Abdullah bin Sallallahu Alaihi he looked at the back of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he saw all these marks from it, right? It's uncomfortable. It's more, less comfortable than the carpet that we're sleeping on in Irtikaf, okay? So, or the mattresses that we brought, with, you know, or at, that we have at home. So he saw me and said, Ya Rasulullah, if you'd like, I can make a bed for you, something that'd be more comfortable for you. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, oh, what do I have to do with this dunya? I don't, I don't really care. What do I have to do with this dunya? Except that, I'm, he, he said, he's like, I'm like a traveler who you find a tree that has shade, the traveler goes and sits down, rests for a bit, gets up and moves on his way. That's like, that's the Prophet So simple. Like, what do, I need to, what do I need this for? I don't need comfort. You know, fine, you can provide it for me, but I don't, I don't need it, I don't care for it. What I'm, I have no, the dunya and I, we don't mesh. There's nothing, I mean, the akhirah is what the Prophet was looking forward to. Meeting Allah is what he looked forward to. It didn't matter to him. Okay, so asceticism. Its foundation is the knowledge and light that shines in the heart until it spreads to the chest. Realization that the akhirah, the afterlife, is better and more lasting, become, uh, and more lasting, uh, sorry, the realization that the afterlife is better and more lasting becomes clear and that the world in relation to the afterlife is less than a clay pot to a jewel. Nothing compares this world to the hereafter. And when that realization enters into your heart, that, then you've achieved what, what is meant by zuhud. And the reality is it's not a matter of if, you know, pleasures of this world that we can partake of. It's not a matter of if we're going to partake of these pleasures. It's simply a matter of when we're going to partake of the pleasures. Allah Ta'ala's Jannah is far superior than any comfort we can experience in this world. And it's human nature to want to be comfortable. That's just human nature. But we're not challenging this notion. We're not challenging this. We're saying that it's not a matter of if you're going to experience comfort. It's just a matter of when you're going to experience comfort. If you're willing to forego comfort and pleasures of this world for a short period of time, then you will be able to experience the pleasures and comforts of the hereafter. And on the other hand, if you if you prefer to indulge in this world, right, and be as comfortable as possible in this world with with with, with uh, what you've been given, it's fine. But there's a possibility that you may lose that in the hereafter, and it it will be far more pleasing in the hereafter than it would be in this world. 
So then he goes on, Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, and he mentions, actually there's a, there's a large section where he basically covers what exactly it means to uh, have zuhud when it comes to food. Like how much, what quantity of food is considered excessive? What quantity is considered abstaining? What type of shelter? How high should the home be? How? But I'm, we're going to bypass much of this simply because it's, it's very difficult to apply this given just our current circumstance and where we live and things like that. So we'll take from the hadith of the Prophet and from the other Prophet. So Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha said that for 40 nights would pass and not a fire or lamp would be lit in the house of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It was said, Allah's Messenger was not satiated with wheat bread. Wheat bread was considered the best type of bread. You could say barley was kind of lower. Wheat bread for three days in a row since the time he entered Medina. So this was the life of the Prophet his simplicity. Allah's Messenger prayed in a garment that had an insignia, like a logo. It had a mark on it. When he finished, he said, looking at this, uh, looking at this distracted me. Take it and go to Abu Jahan. Take it away. When the strap of his sandal wore out, it was replaced with a new one. When he finished his prayer, he said, Give the worn out strap back to me. For I looked at this new one during Salah. So it wasn't that the, the Prophet ﷺ necessarily, mm, he, his preference was to give up things from this world. But his bigger concern was that if something in this world is going to distract me from Allah, then I want to have absolutely nothing to do with it. So we look at our own life and we look, what are those things that distract us from Allah? If there's something that's distracting me from my, my Allah and from my ibadah and my worship, then I remove these things from my life. That's truly what zuhud is. He, sallallahu alayhi wa had put on two new sandals whose beauty delighted him. So he liked, beautiful, he liked beauty, the Prophet He fell down, prostrated, and said, their beauty has delighted me. So I have humbled myself to my Lord out of fear that he may despise me. Prophet two new sandals, he liked them, he put them on, he wore them, and he wore them and he realized that, you know what, I'm immediately going to prostrate to my Lord and lower myself to my Allah. Then he took them off and he gave them to the first poor person that he saw. He was concerned that Allah Ta'ala may despise him because of the comfort that he was experiencing with these two new sandals, with this new pair of sandals. You know, we think about how many pairs of shoes we purchase in a year, Right? It's just it's something to think about. It comes in Tirmidhi and Bayhaqi. That, sorry, that was in... Uh, yeah, so it comes in another hadith. In Tirmidhi and Bayhaqi. And Ibn Majah also narrates this. The Prophet ﷺ would say, Allahumma ahyini miskinan. Oh Allah, let me live in this world like a poor person. Uh, uh, um, and let me die like a poor person. Wahshurni fi zumbaratil masakin And raise me again amongst the company of people that are poor. This is just a preference of the Prophet Okay. Nuh alayhi salam, the Prophet Nuh alayhi salam, he took a hut as his house. So it was said to him, why not build? Like build a house, you know, brick, mortar, mud, clay. Why a hut? He alayhi salam said, this is a lot for someone who will die. This house that I'm building, this hut, sorry, this hut that I'm staying in, I'm going to pass away anyway. I might as well stay in something that will perish. What's the point in me trying to build something that I think is going to be permanent when the person who's going to be living inside is not permanent? Okay, now the next section. So this will go into a little bit of detail. Levels of zuhud, levels of asceticism. Asceticism has various levels. 
The first of them is that a person abstains, yet his ego inclines toward the world and he struggles against it. This person is attempting zuhud, but he is not a zahid. Nevertheless, the beginning of asceticism is to attempt asceticism. So this is the first stage. This is someone who now recognizes that, look, the dunya is not something I should be excessively partaking of, so I'm going to renounce it, and I'm going to, to the best of my ability, abstain from it when it's not necessary. But he struggles. The ego gets in the way, right? You try to hold back from the dunya, the dunya tempts you, and then you give in. You know, you, you, you look, uh, you know, you, you've already, you're full to your stomach. You've already had, you know, dinner. You've already had your, you know, drink. And then dessert comes your way. You're already full. You don't have any space for it, but that looks really enticing. You say, you know what? I can't abstain. I want to give in. You give in, right? You have, uh, you have the iPhone 8, right? And it already meets all the needs that you have. It does everything you need to do, functionality, purpose, etc. It takes care of you. There's nothing that you need beyond that. And then they release, you know, the iPhone 10, and now it looks more glamorous, and it look, it, it, it draws more attention. I don't really need it, but I'd love to have it. And your ego takes over and you say, you know what, I'm just going to get it. That's, uh, that's the first stage of Zohar. Meaning you appreciate that there's this concept that I shouldn't just give in to everything in this world when I have the ability to. I shouldn't just give in. You recognize that, you appreciate it, but you fail at times. This is the first stage of Zohar. Okay, so this is, this is the obvious stage. The second person, the second is that a person's ego flees from the world and does not incline to it due to his or her knowledge that it is impossible to combine between the world and the pleasures of the afterlife. This is the next stage of zuhud. You recognize that, look, it's not possible for me to enjoy this life and then also enjoy the akhirah. The akhirah is a place of enjoyment. So I'm going to abstain from this world. Hence, uh, their ego permits its abandonment, abandonment of partaking of, of the pleasures of this world. Just as the ego of someone who spends, uh, just as the ego of someone who spends permits a dirham to buy a jewel, even if the dirham was beloved to him. This is the ascetic. Meaning, you have something that's beloved to you, you give it up at the expense of something that's, that's less meaningful to you. This is, the, this is that second stage of zuhud. So you recognize that, you know what, I need to control my nafs, I can't give in to everything, so I withhold and I abstain from the dunya. This is the second level of, of zuhud. This is the zahid. So you think, okay, this is the definition of a zahid. How could you go beyond this? Why? How? He's going to come to a third stage. And the third stage is very interesting. He says, okay, so let me go, actually, sorry, before I get to the third stage. The second stage, this, this is the second stage. And what we learn from this in general is that it's always beneficial to be simple. Simplicity is, should be our mark, right? We tend to live such complex lives. It's not just about partaking in pleasures in this world, but our lives are so complex. Our interactions are complex. Our relationships are complex. Our schedules are complex. There's no space. And so with more complexity simply comes more headaches. And we look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ, it was so simple. His goal was Allah. And if whatever... Any decision or action he would take was for Allah. And anything that was against Allah Ta'ala, he would just turn away from it. But you look at us and we have such complex lives, right? Something as, quote-unquote, simple. Let's take i'tikaf, for instance. You know, spending the last 10 days in the month of Ramadan in Allah Ta'ala's home. This was something the Prophet did regularly. And he was able to do so because his life was so simple, right? Going to the Isha and Fajr prayer in the Masjid. The Prophet was able to do so. Because his life was simple and his priority was Allah. So he would just, time for Salah came, everything would take a backseat and he would pray Salah. 
But look, we, we have such complex lives. You know, for us to be able to take time off at the end of Ramadan and spend it in the masjid, we have a million excuses why we can't do it. You know, I have three jobs. You know, I, if I, I have three properties. If, I, if, I, if I'm in the masjid for 10 days, who's going to manage it? You know, I have to take my kids here. I have to take my kids there. You know, I have these iftar parties to attend. My uncle will be upset with me if I, you know, don't go. My friend will be upset with me if I don't travel, if I don't go to their iftar party, if I'm irtikaf, I can't leave. We have all these excuses because our lives are so complex. If we were to simplify our life, then everything else would fall into place. You know, I can't go to Isha in the masjid because I have, you know, three meetings at that time. I have to put my kids to sleep. I mean, these are just complexities that hold us back. If we simplified our life, you know, we live close to the masjid. We made the masjid our priority. We simplified our relationships. We simplified our transactions. We, didn't ha- we don't have 10 credit card uh, credit cards in our wallet and eight different bank accounts that we have to manage and co-manage and, and you know, six different cars that we're responsible for. I mean, these are headaches in life. If these, these are distractions. Simplicity is the way of the Zahid, someone who uh, denounces this world. It creates space so that you can actually do the things that are important to you. But the more complex your life is, the less you'll able to be able to do things that are important to us. Okay, so that's second stage. The third stage is that a person's ego does not incline to the world, nor does it flee from it. Okay, so we just spent all this time talking about abstinence from this world, being zuhud, and now Imam Ghazali is saying is the highest state, the highest uh, station of zuhud is to not incline to this world, nor flee from it. Make sense? It shouldn't make sense. Because we just said that abstaining from this world is zuhud. So I'll read it again. The third is that a person's ego does not incline to the world, nor does it flee from it. Rather, its existence and non-existence is the same to him. Its existence and non-existence is the same to him. Wealth is like water to him, and the stories of Allah Ta'ala are like the sea. His heart does not pay attention to it. There is no desire nor is there any aversion. You just don't care. You just don't care. That's what Zuhud really is. It's not that, so the second stage of Zuhud is that you're actively staying away from matters of this world. You know, you're actively trying not to indulge in the pleasures of this world. But the fact that you're actively having to do that shows that you have an attachment to this world. It shows that you have an attachment to it. If you're averse to something, that means that you have a desire. Sorry, if you're trying to stay away from something, that means that it's because you have an affinity with that something. But a true Zahid could care less about this world, whether he or she partakes of it or doesn't partake of it. It doesn't phase them. Their heart isn't attached to anything from this dunya anyway. It'll make sense. This is the most complete because the one who hates a thing is preoccupied with it just as the one who loves it. Right? Meaning, if you're hate, if you decide I'm a zahid, I'm gonna abstain. I hate, you know, this upgrade. I, I hate this form of luxury. I hate this. I hate that. You're preoccupied with it, which means your preoccupation is serving as a distraction from Allah, and Allah Taala is the goal. Make sense? Meaning, your preoccupation should be with Allah, not with should I participate in this? Should I not participate? Should I upgrade? Should I not upgrade? Forget it. Your 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 a true zahid is someone who. The, the luxuries of this world don't affect that person's heart. They don't care. It doesn't preoccupy them. For this reason, some people 
censored the world in the presence of uh, Rabi'ah al-Adawiyah. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Rabi'ah al-Adawiyah. Censored the world in the presence of her. She was someone who was known to be a true Zahida. She, she had left, denounced this world. There was nothing, she didn't care for this world. So she said, if it, wa- if, were, <laughs> if, it were, if it were not for its status in your hearts, you would not have censored it. You make a decision that I'm going to refrain from this. Why are you refraining? Because you care about it. So she's saying you wouldn't censor it if you didn't care about it. It's because you care about it that you're actually feeling the need to censor this. Is this making sense? No. A little bit? Meaning, okay, let's continue. Um, Let's continue. 100,000 didhams were taken to Aisha, the wife of the Prophet and she was not averse to it. Someone gave her 1,000 didhams. It didn't, didn't bother her. Um, rather, she distributed it throughout her day. She spent it. She distributed it. Her servant said to her, if only you had bought some meat with a didham so that you might eat something. Aisha then responded, if you had reminded me, I would have done so. Simple. If you would have just reminded me, I would have done so. No, you think, she's a wife of the Prophet. She would have said, me? Spend a dirham on myself? No way. How could I do that? I'm not going to participate in anything in this world. And she says, oh yeah, I just, I forgot. It didn't faze me. If you would have reminded me, I would have, I would have, I would have spent it on myself. This is her state. This, was, this is her state. This is true richness, and it is the most complete form of asceticism. However, it is a place of probable delusion for fools. Meaning that sometimes we're, we're delusional. We think that we're at the state, you know, the dunya doesn't really bother me, so I'm going to partake of it. But in reality, it does, it does affect us. Meaning it does grow our nafs a little bit. Um, you know, meaning most people can't handle it. You know, if you have, mo- the, the average person always wants more. The average nafs wants more. If you have a 4,000 square foot home, your desire to have a 6,000 square foot home. If your salary is $100,000, you, your desire is that your salary be $150,000. If you have, like I said, if you have an iPhone 8, your desire is to have an iPhone 10. This is just the state of the human being. Most of us are not at that tertiary state of zuhud. We're at this baseline, you know, struggling with the day-to-day struggles, our desires are always more than what we actually have. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ said, Man humani la ba'ani. There are two things that will never be quenched. You will never be able to quench. The human being cannot quench. One is man ilmi la ba'u minhu. That uh, the desire, the thirst for knowledge, it can never be quenched. So someone who's studying deen, they love studying deen. They're, they're lost in studying deen. They can sit, you know, studying deen for hours and hours. They're just lost in the books. And the desire for this world is something that you cannot quench. It'll just always deceive you. You'll always want more and more and more. So he says, Every deluded person feels within himself that his heart has no attachment to the world. The sign of there being no attachment is that a person does not perceive the difference between all of his wealth being stolen or the wealth of someone else being stolen. As long as he perceives the difference, he is preoccupied with it. So, if someone, someone's car gets stolen, it affects you a little bit, right? You're like, oh man, that, that's terrible. How unfortunate, right? But if your car gets stolen, it really bothers you. I just lost $25,000. You know, oh, now I have to deal with this. 
it phases you that when you've lost dunya. Imam Ghazali rahimahullah, is saying that, look, if you want to know what your state of zuhud is, then whether your friend's car is stolen or some random person down the street's car is stolen or your own car is stolen, it phases you the exact same way. If, it bothers, if that bothers you as much as it bothers you to lose your own treasures and to lose your own wealth, that means that you're a true zahid. The perfection of asceticism. This is going to explain the principle that I mentioned earlier that some of you, I think, are still shaking your heads about. The perfection of asceticism, zuhud, which is asceticism within asceticism, is through not esteeming it or seeing it as a position of status. Okay, I'll repeat this. The perfection of asceticism is through not esteeming it or seeing it as a position of status. If I think that I am a zahid, that means I'm not a real zahid. Right? If I'm someone who thinks that I don't have kibr, that means I do have kibr. If I'm someone who feels like I'm not, uh, if I'm someone who feels like I don't have pride, that means I do have pride. If in my heart I think that I don't have love for the dunya, that means I actually have a love for the dunya. Okay, so this applies for many, many blameworthy traits. So he's applying this here. Asceticism. If you think, sorry, sorry, um, if you think you've reached a certain state and you feel empowered because of it, or you feel elevated because of it, that means you actually have not achieved that state. You f you're achieving a state should actually level you and bottom you out. You should feel you're worse than other people when you've achieved a certain state. That's the true uh, internalization. So if you think that I'm now a Zahid, I'm able to denounce this world, and maybe other people are not, that means that you actually have not yet denounced the world. This is a very high level of, of, of uh, thinking. It's a very high state to achieve. So if it doesn't sit well with you, or if it does, you don't, can't make sense of it, just ignore it. Indeed, whoever abandons the world and believes that he has left something of value has actually magnified the world. So if I think, and this is very deep, if I think that, you know what, I have the option of, you know, a, a home that's, that has all the pleasures, and I have the option of a home that has basically meets my needs, and I've now chosen to choose the house that meets my needs but not my desires, and I think that, you know what, I for, uh, I, I for, uh, you know, I'm giving up that at the expense of this. That means that that phased you. Does it make sense? That means that that phased you. That means I think I'm actually something because I gave up this pleasure. That in and of itself should also be removed from our hearts. It shouldn't phase us. You know, I'll, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, You know, some people think that if I, uh, if I drive an old car, or, you know, even though I have the ability to get a nice car, if I drive an old car, then this means that I'm, I'm denouncing this world. But that's not the reality. That means that you're actively preoccupied with denouncing this world. Denouncing this world is a state. It's not an action. Right? You should, if, if, if a comfortable car is going to get you to what you need to get done, you should drive a comfortable car and move on. You know, some people think that if I, you know, if I don't, uh, live in a comfortable home and I purposely live in something that's uncomfortable for me that's better for me it's not necessarily better for you it's what will allow you to be less distracted from Allah that's going to be better from you you know once somebody had asked my sheikh uh, that uh, you know I have, a, I have a car that functions very well it's an older car it, you know it has over 100,000 miles on it it's an older car not giving any trouble should I purchase a new car so my sheikh said absolutely you should purchase a new car what? But there's nothing wrong with it, right? And Zuhud would tell you that, no, why would I want to partake of something better than what I have? I mean, it's not like this is a problem. 
But the purpose was that, look, you're, you're thinking about this car is a problem. You're thinking that, should I move this car? Should I, should I move away from this car? Should I not? That's a problem. That shows an attachment to dunya. The fact that you are concerned about this. It's a distraction from Allah. You have to remove every distraction from Allah to be a true salik, to be a true zahid. You have, to be, you have to remove every distraction. So the fact that you're thinking about this, you need to get rid of it. Okay, and on top of that, then he said that, uh, yeah, you should get a new car. Okay, so then what, so the person asked uh, my sheikh, what, uh, so what kind of car should I get? He said, it doesn't matter. He said, it doesn't matter. Get whatever, but just don't spend time on it. You want, and he specifically said, you want a Tesla, go get a Tesla. Just don't think about it. Just go get it. This is your vehicle to get you where you need to go and move on. Don't be preoccupied with anything in this world. Even your perception that what I have is not as good as what I could have is actually a manifestation of, of uh, 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 is a manifestation that you're lacking in your, in your zuhud. Making sense? Still not making sense. Okay, maybe, maybe we'll have to sleep on this. Um, okay, so Imam Ghazali says Indeed, whoever abandons the world And believes that he has left something of value Has actually magnified the world If I have a nice car or if I don't have a nice car It should not phase me That's the highest station of Zuhud That's the point If I have a nice home or I have a, a home that's not as nice It shouldn't phase me It doesn't bother me Like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He didn't care to sleep on a mattress he, This is what I have This is what I'm comfortable with I don't care My focus is Allah You know, if you want to make things more comfortable for me Go ahead and make it comfortable for me It doesn't, doesn't phase me This is true Zuhud I am not phased with anything in this world and in fact, by you focusing on it, Imam Ghazali is saying, is you're actually magnifying the world. The world, according to those who possess insight, is nothing. People who have insight, um, this world doesn't mean anything to them. They just don't care. And this is why you'll see sometimes like, people that are very close to Allah, they live comfortably. You'll see they have a comfortable home and they have a comfortable car. And you say, how? You, know, you should have a simple life. You should be wearing raggedy clothes. And you should have a car that you know, breaks down every few months. Why are you living comfortably? It's because they just don't, it doesn't phase them. They're not bothered by it. That external hasn't entered into their heart. Levels of asceticism in light of its motivation. Let's move on to the next section. Asceticism in light of motivation, uh, sorry, asceticism in light of the motivation for it has three levels. Uh, the first of them is when motivation is fear of hell. So what is the motivation for someone to be an ascetic, to become a zahid, to to practice zuhud What's their motivation? The first of them is when its motivation is fear of jahannam This is the asceticism of the fearful So the first state, the first motivation is I'm worried about punishment in jahannam So as a result I'm going to renounce From partaking of the, of the luxuries of this world The second, which is higher than the aforementioned Is that its motivation is longing for the pleasure of the akhirah This is the asceticism of those who have hope Worship out of hope is better than worship out of fear because hope entails love. Okay, so the next phase is that I'm not worried about me being punished in the hereafter. Now I'm going to give up things in this world or, de or denounce this world. Why? Because I want to be rewarded. Uh, I want to save those pleasures for the akhirah. I don't want pleasures in this world because I want to really experience pleasure in the akhirah. That's the second state. And that's where you have hope. And we talked about it yesterday. But in general... People do better with hope than they do with fear. You are more likely to succeed at anything in life if you are driven with hope and love than you are out of fear. You're more likely to be more successful in school if you have a passion for what you're studying rather than a fear that you're going to fail on that midterm. Okay? 
The third, which is the highest of them, is when the motivation for it, meaning to, to practice zuhud or to be, uh, to be a zahid, is to rise above turning to what is besides the truth as a way of sanctifying the self from it and looking down on whatever is besides Allah. I'll read it again. The third, which is the highest of them, is when motivation for it is to rise above turning to what is besides the truth as a way of sanctifying the self from it and looking down on whatever is besides Allah. It's basically this idea of Allah and Ghayrullah. Right? I want to do whatever is going to attract my attention, attract the attention of Allah. If anything is other than Allah, and I have no interest in it, that's a true. That's that's the the true motivation. That I'm leaving this not because I'm afraid of the hereafter. I'm not leaving this because I want to have more pleasure in the hereafter. I'm leaving this because it just has nothing to do with Allah. This is the asceticism of the Arifin, the Gnostics. It is true asceticism. Anything less than this is a transaction because it involves the person foregoing something now in order to be compensated for it many times over later on. Right? So when we're saying, that I'm going to give this up now because, Ya Allah, if I give this up now, you're going to give me better in the hereafter. That's a transaction. You're making a deal with Allah. The Ya Allah, if I give this up now, you'll give it to me in the hereafter. If I give this up now, you'll protect me from punishment. It's okay to have that. Right? It's part of our belief. It's okay to have that. But the highest state of Iman is to say, doesn't ma- the hereafter doesn't matter for me. I'm, in so, I'm so passionately in love with Allah that whatever is for Allah and is associated with Allah, I'm for. Whatever is other than Allah, I want to have nothing to do with it. That's how deep I am in my connection with Allah. My hereafter doesn't even phase me. Now, you shouldn't only have this. A believer should have all three. You should have a fear for the hereafter. This is the balanced view. A fear for the hereafter, a love for the pleasures of the hereafter and to be rewarded in the hereafter or a desire to be rewarded. And you should also have this, uh, uh, this concept of Allah and Ghayrullah. All right. Um, this last section, which we can, should be able to cover in just a few minutes, inshallah. Um, on the virtue of the poor and the transmitted evidence for it. Asceticism, zuhud, is to abstain from the world voluntarily while being able to have it. Meaning you have the means to... Uh, indulge in this world, but you choose not to. As for the world being inaccessible to you, despite your desire for it, that's poverty, not asceticism. So if you don't have, for instance, wealth, and you, because of that you can't partake of the luxuries and comforts of this world, that doesn't mean you're a zahid. That just means you're impoverished. Uh, nevertheless, the poor person has some superiority over the rich person due to him or her being forcefully prevented from enjoying the world. Meaning, you, it's, you can't be a zahid if you aren't able to partake of this world, right? But you can still taste some of the benefits of a zahid because you're basically experiencing or living life kind of like a zahid would anyway, is what he's saying. This is better than someone who is capable of having the world and enjoying it to the extent that he becomes accustomed to it, finds uh, repose in it, and his heart has no aversion to it. Meaning, it's better that you be impoverished than someone who has wealth and indulges in this world. That's a terrible state to be in. It's better that you don't have wealth so that you don't have to be tested with your wealth. We talked about this actually in the khutbah last weekend, or last Friday, that the test of wealth is when you have it, not so much when you don't have it. Now, people who are poor, they undergo tests, right? Don't get me wrong. But we often think that the test is when we lose our wealth, not when we are given wealth. But our real test is when we're given wealth. Because now we're tested. Are we a zahid or are we not a zahid? Someone who's impoverished, they don't have wealth to be tested with. They meet the characteristics of a zahid anyway. 
Thus, pain and regret are great at death, and the entire world is like his paradise. For the poor person, on the other hand, the world is like a prison, for he desires deliverance from its agonies. Poverty is among the, hap- the causes of happiness. The Prophet ﷺ said, Truly Allah Ta'ala restricts his believing slave from the world out of love for him, as one of you restricts a sick loved one from food and drink. He also said, The poor of my community will enter Jannah 500 years before they're rich. He also said, The best of this community are its poor. Know that the poor person, if he is content with what has been given to him and not extremely vigilant about seeking wealth, then his level is close to the level of a zahid. If you're someone who's poor and all you're thinking about night and day is how can I make the next buck? How can I win the lottery? Then you're not a zahid. But if you're comfortable with Allah Ta'ala's decree, you meet most of the qualities of a zahid, uh, the level of an ascetic. The Prophet ﷺ said, Glad tidings to whoever is guided to Islam and whose livelihood is meager, yet he is content with it. This is in Sahih Muslim. In summation, the reward of the poor person is only increased with its satisfaction and patience. Contentment and patience with poverty is the starting point of asceticism. These stations are not completed except through patience which we will therefore mention. So the next section is going to be on sabr. Um, I want to just read this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, um, in which it's in, in Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah, and the Prophet ﷺ is, I'll read, I'll read the hadith, and this is just the closing statement. The Prophet ﷺ said, عن أبي ذر, عن, uh, عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال, الزهادة في الدنيا ليست بتحريم الحلال ولا بضاعة المال. So this is narrated by Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu. It's in Tirmidhi ibn Majah. The Prophet said, Zuhud, al-Zahada, Zuhud. He's giving the, the definition. So we pay attention to it because this is above the definition of anyone else. Zuhud in relation to the world and detachment. Sorry, Zuhud. Um, this translation is off. Um, so. Uh, okay, so Zuhud is... Uh, zuhud, which is abstinence from this world, is not the name of making for yourself unlawful what is allowed and destroying what you possess. So people think that zuhud is I need to get rid of everything I have, give away all my money, that's a true zahid. The Prophet is saying zuhud is not you know, making uh, haram for you what actually Allah Ta'ala made halal for you. That's not zuhud. Neither is zuhud, zuhud getting rid of everything that Allah Ta'ala has given you. Um, then he says, So, on the other hand, its real requirements is that you place greater reliance upon what is with Allah and in His control than what is with you and in your control. So Azahid, for instance, we said if Allah Ta'ala has given somebody wealth, right? And now they recognize that this wealth is purely from Allah Ta'ala. Then no matter how they use that wealth in terms of comfort or not comfort, it doesn't phase them because they recognize that this is just all from Allah. Everything is from Allah. Anyway, they're so distracted by Allah that the comforts of this world don't even phase them. Okay? So... Its real requirement is that you place greater reliance on Allah and you recognize that Allah Ta'ala is in charge. Everything comes from Him. If I'm to spend His wealth, it's from Him anyway. It's not from anything of my own doing. If I've been given wealth and I'm, and I'm able to spend on something that's comfortable, it's not because of my own hard-owned uh, 
because of my own hard effort that I put in at work, simply because there isn't Allah and Allah Ta'ala provides and He gives wherever He'd like to give. It doesn't make me any better than the person who doesn't have. And, when, and, and a true zahada is also when you undergo a disagreeable experience or you suffer some calamity or difficulty uh, and the yearning for reward of the hereafter is greater than the wish that it may not happen to you, have happened to you at all. all. So a zahid isn't someone that says, you know what, this world is nothing. Allah, throw calamities down upon me. Make this world just a disaster for me. Let me suffer. Right? You could argue that that's what a zahid is. If the zahid doesn't care about this world, then you might as well suffer. But this is not the bounds view of zahada. The Prophet is saying is that it's not that you want these difficulties to come upon you. But when it comes upon you, you don't complain about them. You say that, Ya Allah, grant me the reward that's associated with this. Grant me your muhabba that's associated with the, experience in the, of, of, uh, with the experience of undergoing this trial and this difficulty. That's what zahada is. So, Rabbani is not allowed. Celebacy, sarura is not allowed. Most things are not allowed in Islam. And the, the idea isn't that we don't participate in the dunya, right? That's the key point here. It's that our heart is not attached to the dunya. That's the true meaning of zuhud. It's that we, look, like the example of the highest station of a zahid is someone who, you can't tell if that person's a zahid or not. They're functioning in this world just like every other person, right? But their heart is not attached. They're working, they're earning a living, they're contributing to society. You look at them and you'd wonder, like, this is just an ordinary human being, right? But their heart itself is not connected to anything in this world in terms of the pleasures and comforts of this world. And that's the distinction that needs to be made. They live, they marry, they, you know, that's, that, and, and so uh, that's the understanding that we have to have. You can't look at somebody and say this person is a Zahid because that means that this person is, not, this person is actually not a true Zahid. It's a person whose heart is disconnected from this world, yet they live in this world and they participate in this world just like every other human being participates in this world. You can't even tell the difference. You know, I, um, you look at, like, I, I look, some of my teachers are this way. You know, they're so uh, functional in this world. You know, they've accomplished more than most people I know, Muslims and non-Muslims alike, but their heart isn't connected to it. So are you going to say that this person is not a Zahid because he's, you know, or he or she is participating in the workplace or participating in society? No, that's not a Zahid. No, they are participating. In fact, they're participating and accomplishing more and contributing more to human society than we are, right? But the, their Zuhud is that their heart is not connected to this world. They, they're not doing it for this, for this. They're doing it for the sake of Allah and Allah alone. The pleasures and comforts of this world don't affect them. That's what it is. You can't tell them. You can't look at them and say, because if someone withdraws from this world, let's say they hide in a corner, they go in a cave, that's against the Sunnah of the Prophet and that's against everything Imam Ghazali is actually telling us. He's saying if you are if you're taking it upon yourself to say I'm a zahid and I'm going to go practice Deen by myself in a corner and I'm going to ignore all of the mandates of this world and the Sharia and I'm going to ignore the the responsibilities of of society, well that means that you haven't actually understood what zuhud is. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to truly appreciate and truly appreciate and understand um, through the example of the Prophet and the teachings of our awliya what uh, zuhud entails. May Allah ta'ala uh, make us amongst those who denounce this world so that we can seek his love and his attention. And may Allah ta'ala allow us to uh, inculcate uh, all of the praiseworthy traits that were in the heart of the Prophet uh, into our own lives. Wa akhra da'wana alhamdulillah rabbil alameen.